Welcome to C3 Church, Queens Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. Today, we've called this Promises, Promises. So what is a promise? It's an offer with a guaranteed result. God has made you some promises. He's made them at the very beginning, not the beginning of your life, but the beginning of faith itself. Wow. And they are promises that are close to his heart and have never changed. They are the key to your fulfillment in life, both in this life and in the life to come. And God promises to rescue you from bondage. He promises to help you discover his original intention for your life. And he promises to make you part of a family that is making a difference in the world. God's promises are at the centre of what we all often call the mystery of faith, the way we live our life in response to God's loving pursuit of us. And though God spoke his promises to his people thousands of years ago, generation after generation, according to the Apostle Paul, have missed their significance. And we read in 1 Corinthians 2, 7-9, The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. And that is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. So maybe you're thinking, well, today promises don't really mean much anymore. You know, chances are you've heard plenty of promises in the past and some might have been broken. At home, at work, even in church, it's hard sometimes to keep our promises. But if we define a promise as an offer with a guaranteed result, it's not surprising that God is the only one who can actually keep his promises. When he makes a promise, he always fulfills it. It may not be fulfilled in the way we want, may not be in the way we expect or the timetable that we choose, right? But God is always, he always comes through. When he gives his word, he keeps it. Numbers 23.9, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? So when someone makes us a promise, they're trying to pique our interest, right? They say, I promise you, you're going to love it. You're going to love this lint grapefruit chocolate. It is the best. You just got to try it. And they're trying to stimulate our imagination to get us to try something new. But when God makes a promise, he hopes to pique our interest so that we will experience the fullness of the exciting journey that he has for us. We're all on a spiritual journey. It's great hearing John's testimony of his spiritual journey. Everyone has a story to share and we're all continually page after page is being written. And no matter where you are along the way, whether you've been a follower of Jesus most of your life or you've just recently surrendered to him or maybe you're somewhere in between, you're probably longing for more. Maybe you're in survival mode, you're just trying to get by, keep your head above the water, keeping, holding down a job, paying the bills and providing for the kids. Or maybe you're in a spiritual rut. Your faith used to be vibrant, but now feels kind of stale. Or maybe you're experiencing wonderful joy on your journey with God, but you wish you knew more how to share your faith more effectively with others. Regardless of where you are, you're not alone in wanting to move forward. 
We all want to know where we are, where we are going, and how we're going to get there. I experience this every day with one of my sons, who's every day is like, where are we going? Who's home tonight? What's for breakfast? And then as he's eating breakfast, what's for lunch and what's for dinner? Obviously, takes after his mother. It's all about the food. So <laughs> we want to be empowered for life's journey and equipped by God to do more than just survive. We want to experience the abundant joy, peace, and satisfaction he promises us. And though it's tempting to think that the process of spiritual development involves obeying a bunch of rules and guidelines, it's much simpler than that. And when we read the history of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel in the Bible, we discover that God made four significant promises to them. And at the time, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Uh, many years before they'd migrated to get out of a famine, and they'd gone to, and um, that, had, that had totally devastated the land. And as the Hebrew population increased, they actually became a threat to the leaders there and they became slaves. But God was not going to let his people stay in bondage in a foreign land. So God raised up Moses and he led the people of Israel to a new home, a promised land. But it was after a protracted negotiation with Pharaoh, God revealed his power, unleashing all these plagues, but this stubborn man still refused to let God's people go. And as a final inducement, the angel of death was allowed to visit each household, Egyptian and Hebrew alike, and to claim the life of every firstborn male. However, the angel was instructed to pass over any house that had been painted with the blood of the lamb. So you imagine if you're getting the, the blood and you're putting it on the doorpost, putting it here and the blood's dripping down, you're putting it on the doorpost. Can you see what shape that is? The cross, that's right. The cross was right there. The blood of the lamb shed. We see the picture right from the beginning. And this blood allowed the children to live. And at the time of this dreadful display of his power, God made it clear that not only would he spare his people, but he would also leave, lead them into a life of freedom they could not even imagine. So we read in Exodus 6, he made these four promises. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. So these four I will statements laid the foundation for the nation of Israel and became crucial elements of their annual celebration known as Passover, which they still observe today. And at this early event, I just found out they actually had four cups of wine. And these commemorate the four promises. It's changed my whole way of seeing everything, even the Last Supper with Jesus. So these four cups of promise, as they are called, they bridge ancient history with the yet-to-come future. For Jewish families, it's a time for them to remember when God brought them out of bondage and slavery into freedom, redemption, and fulfillment. And these four cups hold the same promise for those of us today who surrendered our lives to God and been grafted into his family through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So by placing our faith in Jesus, we have become recipients of these offers with a guaranteed result, which begin with God's declaration what he will do for us if we let him. And these promises are foundational to God's desire to know and love his children. And though most Christians aren't familiar with them, the details of the Passover celebration hold the key to what God wants to do in our lives right now. 
So each of the four cups reveals God's presence in a distinct and dramatic way. And we can see in the historical background that each cup was uniquely personal. And it's a fascinating background, but also reveals the process of spiritual transformation that continues to take place between us and God. And though we're all on a spiritual journey, no one has arrived yet to perfection, and nor will we in this lifetime. It says in Philippians, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So by placing faith in Jesus, we have become recipients of these promises. And God calls each one of us to grow and to mature in our relationship with him. So no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, these four cups provide a simple, powerful, unforgettable way of tracking our progress, growing closer to God. And I liken our spiritual journey to um, a bit of mountain climbing. We recently holidayed in Tasmania and we took on some hikes. We accidentally did one at Bruni Island, which we didn't realise was going to take three hours. Some members had, of the family had thongs on, which was commented on by everybody who went up and down the mountain around us. He was not the only one. <laughs> we didn't realise it was this massive hike. It was crazy. And then later on in the month, we climbed part of Cradle Mountain. We were clothed appropriately for that one. <laughs> but the closer that you get to the summit, the more difficult it becomes because the paths are less, less distinct. You get to some really steep points and the air gets thinner so it's harder to breathe and your legs are getting weary. But at each new stage, you're tempted to give up. But then you come around the corner and you're like, wow, look at that view. I'm glad I kept going. This is amazing. And it just keeps going. At every corner, you're like, wow, I'm glad that I kept going. I didn't know this was around the corner. So we got sort of halfway up the Cradle Mountain and had um, lunch. So you can just see like a few seconds of the view, which is probably maybe two thirds up. Oh, there's Steve. Lunch. It's pretty stunning. This is Marion's lookout. Lucky Marion. <laughs> just, that's just one little part of it. And it's just absolutely incredible. And then Steve went higher and Connor and Lockie, I think, went to the top, which was another few hours doing that. I went down. <laughs> um, but as difficult as each climb was, after I came back down, I couldn't wait for the next one. And on New Year's Eve, on New Year's Day, we climbed up to see Wineglass Bay. So just show the, oh no, not yet. I stopped a few times along the way to rest my legs have some water, get a second wind, but I kept going and I was rewarded with this stunning view. Just show the view. It's just absolutely incredible and you can't capture, this is just on an iPhone, you can't capture the blueness of the water. It was absolutely magnificent. Now, I must love you very much and trust you and I know this isn't going on the podcast, but there's a photo there. I took <laughs> a selfie. <laughs> I was hot, sweaty, had a really bad hair day. I'd left my hair straightener in Perth. And um, thirsty and tired, but you know what? So fulfilled and grateful and absolutely in awe of God's creation and what he had done. His handiwork is incredible. And you can please take it on good. <laughs> God wants you to take a journey to the summit of some spiritual mountains. And each step along the way will be challenging and rewarding. But as you learn to walk in the promises of God, you won't believe how beautiful the view can be. And God wants so much more for us than we realize. We often get 
hung up on our circumstances and these big blinders that obscure the big picture. But as we climb and explore and we learn to drink from these four cups of promise, I believe our thirst will be quenched and we will experience a wellspring of joy and peace and hope and feel the most per- live the most purposeful lives that we can, that we were created to live. And so the Christian life was never intended to be a flat, rugged, rutted path of obligation, disappointment and mediocrity. So don't settle for less than God's best for you. And don't stifle that voice in your heart that says it has to be more. Don't stay on the treadmill of conformity, trudging along to someone else's idea of who you should be. God wants your relationship with him to be every bit as adventurous and exhilarating as if you were climbing Mount Everest. And the journey won't be easy. Promises to be, though, life-changing. So when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they probably expected Moses to lead them straight into their new home in Canaan, into the promised land. But as you know, it wasn't that simple. It took 40 years of wandering around and learning a whole lot of lessons, an incredible faith battle at the end before they were able to claim the promised land. And along the way, the children of Israel grumbled and stumbled and second-guessed God most of the time, as you probably will too. (laughs) It's a fight of faith and there's obstacles to overcome, but our faith grows as we keep trusting in God. And your faith is not a simply a mental agreement with a set of facts. It's a firm reliance and trust in a person, namely God, and his ability to do what he says he will do. Faith is leaning and depending on God and his promises. And we've got to keep those promises in front of us, even when we go through the trials. Abraham was really good at this. It says in Romans 4.20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. So when the children of Israel were being led out of the wilderness in the promised land, they battled with these doubts and fears and uncertainties. And we're not so different today. It's our human nature, almost our default to do that. So maybe something in your life hasn't gone right, and now you think that your best days are behind you, or you've stopped dreaming. You want to give up. You feel enslaved to hopelessness. But if you're going to experience the power of God's promises, you've got to dream again. You're going to have to face the dream killer. So here's some that might come across your path. I find this is a big one for people. Unfulfilled expectations. We all have times in our lives when our expectations of God seem to go unmet. We think we know how he should intervene in a situation or provide for our needs And then he does it his way in his own timing. I am really good at giving God suggestions, really strong ones, but he refuses to take them on. It's as if he knows better. (laughs) Can you recall moments in your life when you've experienced that kind of disappointment? You know, times when you've come up short, feeling empty or hurting. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. So the danger with this dream killer is it tempts us to take matters into our own hands because we like control. (laughs) We try to make things happen and too many times it stops us dead in our tracks. But another dream killer is unrelenting doubt. Most people have doubts from time to time and doubt usually takes root in our minds when we allow the enemy of our soul to question what God has promised us. 
Satan would love nothing more for us than that we would buy into his lies and about who we are and what God is doing in our lives. You hear that voice, you'll never amount to anything. You don't have what it takes. There's no way God is going to do anything for you. You've messed up too many times. And Satan knows that doubt is the opposite of faith. And if he can get into our minds, he thinks that he can kill God's dreams for us. And the third one is unchangeable circumstances. This dream killer makes you, us want to give up. It's a faulty mentality that believes we've reached a point from which our lives can never change. We begin, begin to believe that there's no way that we're getting out of Egypt. Our problems have all the power over us and we think it's too late. You hear that voice? Don't make it worse by hoping for something that can never happen. Don't want to get your hopes up. We think it's over. But it's never over when we serve a God who can raise the dead. Nothing defeats a dream killer like focusing on God's promises. And that's what the children of Israel began to do. God's message stirred something deep inside them and they dared to dream again. And that's why it's so important to know and use the word of God. So you know God, you know who he is and you know who you are. It enables you to overcome. So much of the battle is fought in our minds and we can have so many incorrect mindsets. But God not only rescued his people from bondage in Egypt, he also freed them from that slavery mindset. The four million people that Moses led out of captivity had all grown up as slaves. That's all they knew. They knew nothing about lives as free men and women. And they didn't know how to take care of themselves or how to enjoy that life without an overseer whipping them or working them until they dropped. But God promised to free them from that mindset of enslavement. And he says, I will deem my people with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. So he reaches down to us while we're enslaved and performs miracles that restore our worth and our dignity. And God created us in his divine image and he wants that image to be reflected without corruption or obstruction. And the psalmist says in Psalm 8, 4 to 6, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. So people who have been slaves, subjected to abuse, mistreatment and confinement, they often don't know how to function as they were originally intended. When we find ourselves captive to our own selfish and sinful behaviour, we lose sight of our purpose. But God has promised to redeem us, pull us out of that muddy pit where we've stumbled and fallen into and lift us up again, just as he did with the people of Israel. And finally, God promised us the spiritual heritage of purpose and fulfilment. He promised that we should know him as our Lord and be part of his family. We belong. We're part of a community that knows and loves the Lord and wants to serve him. We're people that are making a difference, just as our Creator designed us to do. In light of our awareness of our true identity as sons and daughters of the King, we find ourselves compelled to praise Him, worship Him, serve Him, so that others can be set free as well. So in the ancient sacrament of Passover, we find a picture of God's heart for us that has never changed. What He promised the people of Israel while they were captive in Egypt, He promises to His people today. 
We can find ourselves captive to addictions, vices and hurtful behaviour. But God designed us to be free, to love him, to be in relationship with him and to live out the fulfilling purpose that he's created us for. And we know Jesus came to fulfil the promises that God has made to his people. He not only fulfilled the promise to free God's people from oppression and rescue them from slavery and to stretch his hand and do mighty works, but he also extended the four cups of promise to all the future generations through what has been called the Great Commission. So look at the first cup here, the cup of sanctification. And it's based on God's promise, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So I've made this table, it's just a work in progress because as I'm studying all this, I'm just getting more and more revelation and ideas and I'm like, oh, that lines up with Luke 4.18, that lines up with this in the Word. And so I've um, got a funny little table here of some things, but you can just, <laughs> that's how my mind works. So in the Great Commission, Christ's first directive is about going to the rescue of people who are still lost in their sins. We do this through our plus one relationships and evangelism when we share the message of how Christ's death and resurrection paid the price for our sin so that we can be restored to a right relationship with God when he intended, which is what he intended from the start. And see the verse in Luke 4.18 where Jesus got up in the temple and he said, this day, this has happened, and he said, I will proclaim good news to the poor. It's the same thing. He's backing up that first promise, which we see in um, Exodus, and then we see in Matthew 28, rescue those are lost in sin. And sanctification, which means set apart, is being special. Um, it's something that is holy to God. And it goes hand in hand with evangelism, welcoming others into God's family and helping them to see how God has set them apart for his purpose. And although we aren't slaves in Egypt, we all struggle with some form of bondage that prevents us from living freely the way that our Father intended. Even more important, Christ has rescued us from that weight, that yoke, that sin that would otherwise separate us from God forever. So the good news is, the first cup is that God sent his son, Jesus, to perform the ultimate rescue, recovering and restoring the lost no matter who or where they are. And then the second cup, the cup of deliverance, is based on God's promise, I will free you from being slaves. Be like, well, wait a minute, they're already out of Egypt. They're saved, so how can they not be free? God promised his people that he would not only bring them physically out of Egypt, but he would free them from that slavery mindset that, they, that had become second nature to them. So we get them out of Egypt, out of the world, but then we've got to get Egypt out of them. So the parallel in the Great Commission is that we are to teach others to know the truth about God, about themselves, and about why they are created. And as we recognise our weaknesses, our sinful mistakes, and our need for forgiveness... We need to know that our Saviour offers us a new way of living that frees us from enslavement of sin. Deliverance, overcoming the mindset of slavery to sin, is often a lifelong battle. And it's a battle that we can win only relying on Jesus from day to day, moment by moment. And then the third cup, the cup of redemption, is based on God's promise. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Redeem means to put something back to its original intent. And this is God's promise to redeem his people, restore them to greatness and lead them back to their purpose in life. And in the Great Commission, Jesus expresses this by telling us to make disciples from new believers. 
We're not only to teach the truth about God's word, about who Jesus is and about God's love and grace, but we're also encouraging them to live that out in their own lives. We set a good example and we practice what we preach. And we equip people to, new, to live this new life of freedom, discover their real purpose, know their spiritual gifts and then put it into practice as they serve others. And the fourth cup, the cup of praise, is based on God's promise. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. So why is that called the cup of praise? It's because this, by this time they'd had four cups of wine. So <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> um, praise in the Hebrew doesn't mean what we think. Oh, let's now praise and worship. We're going to sing a song. The word here is halal and describes the condition of your soul. And the closest English definition of that is fulfilled. <sighs> Doing what I'm called to do. Oh, I've got goosebumps. <laughs> Why? Why am I doing it? Because I got out of Egypt. I got Egypt out of me. I discovered my gifts and what I was supposed to do. And then I got on a team with a bunch of people called the Body of Christ. And now I'm doing something with my life that matters. And it matters for eternity. And so as we live in a community of other believers, we naturally begin to praise God for his faithfulness as expressed in the Great Commission. Be sure of this, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. Wow, how powerful is that? So if there's ever a reason to be thankful and praise God, it's for the unfathomable gift of Christ's love and his sacrificial death on the cross for us. Through his example, we die to our own selfish, petty desires and discover the joy of living for a larger purpose. So this fourth cup, this is the cup that Jesus picked up at the communion at the Last Supper. And he never drank that one because remember he said, I will not drink of this until um, it's, it's fulfilled until I come again in glory. But we get to drink of the last cup with him in heaven at the wedding supper of the Lamb. How glorious is that? So I just wanted to introduce this topic today and touch on that first cup of communion, the promise of sanctification, knowing God. But in future preachers, I'm going to be sharing in details, you know, one cup at a time with the details. What does that look like to have freedom? What does it look like? How do you find your spiritual gifts and your purpose? How do you then have that fulfillment? So just giving you a little taste for today. <laughs> Because um, I really want you to discover God's promise for your life of fulfillment and, and to live that life to the full that Jesus promised each and every one of us. So sanctification is a word that we don't really use in our everyday life, in our modern world, but it means set aside or designated for a particular purpose. And so I have this really precious and expensive teacup at home and it's only used for special occasions as I don't want it to be damaged or chipped because it's expensive and it's very precious. I do not let my sons use it. That's just the way it is. It doesn't go in the dishwasher. It doesn't have coffee. Now, I love coffee more than a lot of things in life, but it's not made for coffee. It's made with fine china for tea and to be enjoyed for that way. So it is set apart for a good cup of tea. It's not used every day, but has a unique purpose. It's almost like it's been sanctified, set apart. And we can do that with things. So we create sacred places, like the altar here at QB. This is just a piece of a school auditorium where kids are playing and do things all week. But we, when we come here on a Sunday, we set this apart and say, the presence of God, Holy Spirit, you move here. When we say to people, come, you want prayer, 
sacred and it's set apart for God. And I just love that we can do that. You know, and his power can be manifest in that place. Our wedding china or my teacup, church buildings and marriages aren't perfect, but they're called out and set apart from others of their kind. And he wants to set us apart because to him we're special. And he was never created, nor will he ever create, anyone exactly like you or me. We're not perfect, we're well aware of that. But we're designed to be set apart for God's purpose. And when you find yourself wondering why you're even here, it's because of that sense of destiny he placed in your heart. When you're curious about well, what am I supposed to do in my life and I wonder what difference will it make, that's God calling you to drink from that cup of sanctification. He wants to quench your thirst for more, for a purpose, for something large and meaningful, more meaningful than you can ever imagine. God put you on this planet at this exact time and place so you can fulfill the purpose for which you were created. And the only way you can find that is to find the answer is to come to him because he has the book on your life. Psalm 139, 16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. <sighs> Mind blown. Throughout Jesus' ministry on earth, he made it clear that his mission was to seek and save the lost. So when God sees his children who are still enslaved to sin, he wants them free. He wants us to come out of that muddy pit where we're eating pig food like the prodigal son. And he wants to lift us up and set us apart, sanctify us from the world. He saves us if we will let him. Can I have the band come, please? You know, when you earnestly want to know your purpose and seek God for the answer you discover that he's very near. In fact, he's been there all along. You just need to drink from the cup of sanctification and experience real salvation. You might be thinking, oh, this step's too difficult for me. Maybe like so many people, you haven't experienced salvation because you think that God wants something from you first and that you have to get things right in your life before God will listen to you. Drinking from this cup is not hard. It's actually the easiest thing you can do. But when you're in bondage, lost and far away from your true home, it can feel complicated. If religion has one thing in common, it's that they require us to do something to get to God. All except Christianity. So many people, including many Christians, but believe that God requires us to do something, make changes before we can approach him. But that's not true. We don't get our lives together in order to get to God. We go to God to get our lives together. So what are we supposed to do? The answer is in God's first cup of promise. He said, I will bring you out. And sometimes we're tempted to try to earn our way into abundant life. But God's word is undeniably clear that no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we do, or how long we do it, it will never be enough. We simply cannot earn God's favour. Even better, we don't have to. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it's a gift from God. We don't have to work to carry favour with God, 
the moment we believe and committed our lives to him, he gave us the best present that we could ever hope for, adoption into his family, the family of God. And once God becomes Lord of your life, he begins working in your heart to give you both the desire and the power to change. Not before. And a lot of change will happen after you've been set free, but you don't change in order to become free. Salvation is a gift. It's about knowing God, that, and that's the key to life, and the crucial understanding that he loves you. It's the first step in our spiritual journey, but it's also a recurring journey of walking with God throughout our lives. If you marry, marry someone at the wedding ceremony, that's not the end of the marriage. That's the beginning. doesn't matter if it's your 10th or 27th wedding anniversary. It's an ongoing dynamic relationship a process where you're continuing to know each other and be in that relationship and go deeper and deeper, closer and closer. And knowing God is the same. We go on our journey and we get to know him and be closer to him. And we do this, we know God's voice by praying, talking and listening to him. And we know his ways by reading, studying and applying them. And as we do that, we get closer and closer with him. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give. 